You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen, happy 4th of July and welcome to this Independence Day broadcast of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I don't know about you, but the 4th of July is one of my favorite holidays from the pure standpoint that I get to celebrate the freedom, you know, being a citizen of this country, one of the greatest countries in the world. I'm very happy to call myself an American. I'm very proud of this country and what we do and everybody who lives in it. And not everybody, but because there's, there's some real scumbags out there, but you get the point. And uh, hopefully everybody else that's listening to this has the opportunity to enjoy this holiday with friends and family and remember what this holiday is all about. It's about this country and the blood, sweat, and tears that is the foundation of this country. So uh, hopefully everybody gets an opportunity to just uh, think back a little bit about what makes this country so great, the freedoms that we have compared to other freedoms you know, throughout the world, and um, or lack of freedoms, I should say, throughout the world, and uh, just... Uh, consider yourself blessed, man. That's all, that's all I'm asking. But on today's podcast, we are going to be talking with Alabama native Chris Morris. Uh, he's been on the podcast before, but this podcast, we talk about his decision to move from a wrist release to a 
thumb release and why he says that is the best decision he's ever made when it comes to changing up his archery equipment. So that's what today's podcast is about. Now, quick commercial, Exodus Trail Cameras. They are a badass company. I don't know if you guys, uh, for those for those guys out there who already have an Exodus Trail Camera, um, if you've if you've ever had a problem, and I know a lot of guys can speak on this because I can speak on this, being a customer as well, you call them up if you have a problem, and they will respond to you, or they will answer the phone, or they will email you back. They are deeply embedded in in customer service because they realize that exodus would not be in existence if it wasn't for their customers and they are they're 100 percent customer focused company and they're direct to consumer which is perfect there's no middleman right there's the company and then there's the consumer there's exodus and then there's you and it's like a handshake man so before you go out and buy another trail camera you really need to look at exodusoutdoorgear.com exodusoutdoorgear.com take a look at the cameras that they do offer very 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 good cameras um the best part about their cameras is you turn them on and they work period that's pretty simple right there's a lot of other companies i can't say the same thing about but exodus badass company you need to take a look exodusoutdoorgear.com and when you do decide to purchase you need to enter the discount code nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers and you will receive twenty dollars off of your trail camera purchase that's a pretty good deal so take advantage of that Thanks, Exodus, for being a partner of this podcast. Please go out and support them because they support this podcast. And if you like this podcast, man, go support Exodus. I think I just said that two times in a row, but just differently. Anyway, let's get into today's Gear Talk podcast with Alabama native Chris Morris. Happy 4th. All right, on the phone with me for, I think this is the second time you've been on the podcast uh Oh, man, a couple years ago, Mr. Chris Morris. How you doing, man? Oh, man, we're doing good. Doing good. How you, how you out there in Iowa? You know, it was uh, it was hot up here last week, but it's not South Alabama hot. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been pretty brutal down here. We're having uh, heat advisories, hot heat indexes in the, uh, up in the hundreds. Uh, it's, it's been pretty brutal. Right. The, right. the humidity is what kills you down here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can remember when I lived down in Alabama. I would, uh, in the back seat of my truck, I would always have a extra T-shirt or two wherever I would go. So that way, if I had to stand in line somewhere or be outside for a <laughs> short period of time or long period of time, whatever, uh, just switch shirts real quick, and then I'd lay the other one on the dash, dry it out, and just like switch shirts all day if I had to. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's, it's miserable. Yeah, I think a lot, me and my wife were talking the other day. I'm sure uh, a guys from the north who come down to vacation on the beaches or Disney World, they're kind of in for a culture shock if it's their first time down because, like you say, you will you will be drenching wet in just right. a, a matter of no time. Right, absolutely. <laughs> but but when you live when you live through your own life, you get used to it. Yeah. Absolutely. Just like I'm sure you guys get used to the uh, several feet of snow you get every year. Right, right. I, I don't know if I told this story. <laughs> I remember, 
Oh man, what year was I down there? Two thousand and five, I think it was, or mm-hmm. late two thousand and four, yeah. early two thousand and five is when I ended up moving down there, and right. uh, I was living in a town called Hartzell and working in Hunt, uh, a Decatur, and yeah. I I remember one day it snowed. Oh man, like a quarter of an inch and it wasn't even sticking on the roads and they closed everything down. Everything was closed down. That's, that's the way it is down here. We, we get snow maybe once, you know, in my part, they get a little more up there, but down here we get it like once every five or six years, you know, we, we, we have that. I think my son's 15. He's seen maybe three snows. Two or yeah. three snows his entire life, but you, you're right. When it was snows or ice storms, the roads just we everything shuts down because we're not used to driving on that stuff, and, and we don't have the equipment to keep the roads clean either. Right? They don't salt the bridge. They don't have enough equipment to salt all. You know, a lot of times they don't get all the bridges salted or push the snow off the roads. So he's just got a mess down here. Yeah, no infrastructure point. is just not built for it. Yeah. Well, and there's no point of. Uh buying snow plows and all that salt if it you know like you said one time in five yeah. in 15 years <laughs> right yeah yeah so yeah, once, every, once every three to five years so mm-hmm. before we get into the rest of the podcast why don't you tell everybody about where whereabouts in alabama do you live and what do you do for a living sure i'm uh located about probably 90 miles from the gulf of mexico which is approximately an hour north of mobile alabama Okay. And I uh, lived here. Lived here my whole life. And I work uh, work in the agricultural chemical industry. We make uh, insecticides and uh, herbicides for the uh, for industry agriculture industry. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Um, sure. So, how did your 2017 season end up? It was pretty good. Uh, I killed. I got two bucks. Uh, we're allowed three in Alabama, but I usually only try to shoot, uh, you know, one, it's like one or two mature bugs. I, we try to, uh, I mean, I try to shoot a good, you know, four to five-year-old bug if possible, you know, but, uh, so I only got one of them this year and, and I killed, uh, and that was with my, with my rifle. Then I killed one in Kansas with my boat. Gotcha. So it was, it was a pretty good year. Good. Good deal. Um, and just kind of curious down where you live and hunt in Alabama, what is the rut timing down there? It's the last week of January into the first couple weeks of February. Wow. Our season. That's why they extended our season here four to five years ago to include the first 10 days of February because a lot of the uh, counties in the southern part of the state was missing the rut entirely. The deer wasn't, the deer weren't even rutting when the season would go out on the 31st of January. So, but the last, the last week of January is pretty consistent in a lot of areas, but like I said, in the southern part, but, uh, but that they'll, they'll keep going into February and occasionally, I mean, you know, if a piece of property has a, overpopulation of does you know they come back in the second time they'll be on into february and march sometimes wow that's that's funny yeah. because i typically start shed hunting in iowa <laughs> like as your rut is winding winding down <laughs> yeah man that's yeah. crazy that's, that's that's a good thing uh we'll come out to kansas and hunt in like uh november you know hunt the rut out there then we come back home and 
up the road at these. They have a, uh, a December rut, around Christmas rut, and then uh, and then down here we at uh, hour hour two south. We'll have a, a rut around you know end of January. So you could so you know you can make the trip out Midwest and then hunt around here in a few places. You can get two or three different ruts, you know, which is a lot of fun. So you in go one season. you go to Kansas. You come back and your wife's mad at you because you've been gone so long, and and then you have time to make her happy again before That's before right. the, your rut That's hits. Right. <laughs> yeah, you do a lot of do a lot of the honeydews in December when it when it's kind of kind of a dead period down here anyway in December. So, so you got plenty of time to actually do the honeydews and get on the good side, and then hit it hard again in January. That's right. So. What about what about northern Alabama? Because I think I had someone on from northern Alabama who talks about mm-hmm. uh, maybe a late November, early December rut. Is that is that accurate? I believe so. I don't I don't know anybody that hunts in North Alabama, but I know all over the state. Uh, I mean, it's it's sort of the east to west, north to south. There's no rhyme or reason. A lot. I guess it's sort of a lot of the the deer with the restocked in the areas uh different you know they own them different cycles and i, I think you have you have some uh you have some november i mean i think i think some parts of Alabama have a november rut. i'm not extremely certain on that but yeah i know there's some in early december i know there's some around christmas um there was a certain area i hunted it, it has part part of early january they seem to start rutting there and then but most most of the places in at least southwest Alabama is like say the last week of January. But it's it's just it's all over the place down here when you get to the southern half of the country. Or yeah. the southern parts, Alabama, Florida, South Georgia. Right. Yeah, that's Mississippi. Uh, yeah, that's pretty crazy because I even think I had I've had some guy on. I, I can't remember if he was from Alabama or let's see, Mississippi borders you to the west. So I think it might have even been does, in, yeah. in southern in in Mississippi where the guy was telling me that he, the property that he hunts experiences Mm -hmm. two different ruts because he, it's like a line. There's like an imaginary line that runs through like a a mile where a mile to the West of where he lives is a November. And then a mile to the East is like a January rut. So he, he gets to experience two different ruts. Mm -hmm. Um, that kind of all overlap each other. So, man, that would just be crazy. Yeah, I haven't heard of that, but that is crazy. So, that is real crazy. I did hear someone uh, on, uh, it may have been, someone on the, the Hunts in Georgia was on one of these podcasts. He was like, I think, he hunts one of them huge national forests over there. It's like, I don't know, 20,000 acres, 30,000 acres. And like, uh, like on the one side of the national forest, like the deer are rutting around this time frame. And then like say on the, complete opposite side they might be rutting it like a month or two later yeah. so that is just that's, that's crazy i think it was on the saddle hunter forum yeah they was talking about that yeah pretty crazy so so you had a decent year this year uh you get an opportunity to take uh your kid out with you well he, he he's 15 now he, he hunted a little when he was younger but he's he's just about uh i guess you get to the teenage years and right they start going girl crazy. He don't really care much for the hunting anymore. <laughs> He's got his so own little rut me, going on. Yeah, and I can't. That's right. And I can't. I can't talk my daughter into going with me. She don't care anything about it. So just out there by myself. So that's okay. Yeah. Whatever they want to do. But yeah, they not. They're not really into it. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. So you get, you had an email, uh, you sent an email to me and the title of it was success story on transitioning from wrist to thumb release. And this got me really interested, uh, curious because I myself, I I don't shoot a lot, but I'm, I'm really curious, or I should say, I don't shoot as much as I need to. Uh, or as, as, as a art, you know, so you, you sent me this email basically saying, Hey man, I want to tell my story on this because I think it would mm-hmm. make, you know, a lot of guys or gals better archers. So, um, yeah. I just, I want to, I want to talk about that. And the first question that I want to ask you is going all the way back to your first compound and your first release was your very first release always a, like a, a, a wrist trigger release? It was, it was, it's never been, well, I guess back in, I didn't start bow hunting until I would say probably 95 when I was in college. I bought my, my college roommate was a big bow hunter and he got me into it and I bought his old bow. And back then they had these, uh, I'm not sure what the name of them are, but it's like a, it was almost a modern day sort of handheld, but it was like a, had a button and you punched the button to, to fire the release. I'm not sure what it was called, but it wasn't, wasn't I mean, it was anyhow, I used that for maybe a season. Then I finally went and bought me one of the nice wrist releases. Um, and that's what basically, basically that first year I've, I've been wrist released ever since until, uh, two years ago, I believe. But, gotcha. and, uh, that's, 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 that's what I've always done. Um, uh, and I just, I'd say, I, and I'm pretty much self-taught and, and when you, when you, when you're self-taught, a lot of times, I mean, you teach yourself into bad habits or some of your friends are not, uh, quite, uh, you know, the skill level, you know, they, they may have taught their self. So when you got somebody taught their self and they pass on to you what they taught themselves, you get into a lot of bad habits and, and, I, and I, that's like, I, so I, I probably have been, uh, punching trigger on releases for years and i just never knew it yeah until uh until i discovered the uh you know this the the uh the uh thumb release well i can't think of the word but yeah yeah the the better uh possibilities you know using a thumb release right, right. and uh it's not not punching trigger and stuff right so, I mean, how would you describe your accuracy before you made the the transition from a uh, from a, a a wrist release to a thumb release? You know, I, I was I considered myself, you know, pretty good archer uh, back then, but um, it seems like the more as I got on over into you know, if you, I mean, I I never I never was kind of the kind of arch, you know, the the shooter that would just stack them on top of each other, you know, like knocking veins off, uh, arrows all the time, you know, I, but I'd get it within a reasonable, uh, circle, you know, that, you know, enough to kill the deer. And, uh, and I, and I was just satisfied with that. Well, you know, that's, that's plenty good enough. But as, as I hunted a little more and I guess I got on into the seasons, I would, you know, and it's so hot down here. You can't hardly shoot year round unless you got a, indoor range or a huge fan or something because it's like you were saying earlier you just you're just you're just soaking wet in the, in the summertime it's so hot so i don't practice year round so when you get out there and start practicing um the accuracy the accuracy is it wasn't as uh 
I don't know. It just I would I would hit I would hit good, and then I I might miss the entire target. And uh, then you know, as I I think I, I started developing the target panic, and I would like the first few shots of the evening or the morning when I got there to shoot, I would I would you know aim at the bullseye, and I might hit far right corner, or I might miss the whole bag. And, yeah. And it it take a couple shots, and then once I kind of settle down, the muscles. I guess kind of settle down. I'll start shooting, you know, back into a group again. But, and, and I guess, you know, a lot of that's, I guess, muscle memory, but a lot of it was, uh, this, this kind of phenomenon of target panic. And I, and I, I finally, I got a, a camera on myself and just kind of film me, film myself shooting, you know, kind of getting up, watch my form and all. And, and you can ask, you know, I was listening to some podcasts on shooting form, uh, and uh, and I could I put it in you know did a little slow motion feature on the camera and and I could see my index finger actually pull the trigger you know instead of just slowly slowly pulling until it fires I'd actually catch myself uh, watch myself punching the trigger you get the get the pin over the bullseye and when it floats up and out over the bullseye you want to pull the trigger as soon as the pin is over the bullseye and uh. I listened a lot to, uh, I heard uh, uh, Mark's friend, what Andy made the other day. We, we'd already talked about this, having the podcast, but he came on, he was talking a lot about um, John Dudley. Yeah. And that, that's where I got a lot a lot of my the archery thing that I've learned lately from him and, of course, uh, Levi. And, uh, but he, you know, he, he, he talked about the, you know how sensitive the index finger is and and unless you can get a release that you can uh, increase the sensitivity you know where it's not so sensitive you know a harder trigger then you know you don't you don't want something with a light feather trigger which i always thought was a good thing but it's actually a, not a good thing you want something you can slowly pull till it fires right but but uh he i, I you know he's one that i first heard you know kind of really promoting for uh you know, somebody who's not, you know, maybe suffering with target panic or something like that to, to transfer over to the uh, thumb release. Right, right. So was there kind of a, a straw that broke the camel's back type of moment for you that said, enough is enough, I'm going to go try uh, a thumb release? Yeah, I think it was my 2015 trip out to Kansas. Uh, we was out there and and it was a, it was a, it was a real good year. The uh, was, I've seen lots of bucks and uh, and had I had several I probably had four or five shooter bucks that week that come within range. Of course, they was all chasing does, and I couldn't hardly get them to stop. But so I finally got one to stop, and he was he was probably forty yards out there, and I and I was still shooting the wrist relief, and I and uh, I got it on him. He was quartering away, but I got it on him and went to um, make the shot. And and I'm pretty sure I punched the trigger. I wanted to say that, you know, in my mind he, he didn't move a small step, but I think I pulled. I think I punched the trigger and almost jerked my bow arm a little bit. You know, almost like a if you've ever um, fired a shotgun and like the the uh, the shell might be a blank or something, or it didn't fire. Or you thought you pulled the trigger and didn't pull the trigger, but you jerked a little bit. 
Right. And I, I think I'd act, I think I actually did that with my, my bow arm. I think I actually pulled a little bit. When I punched the trigger, I think I, my bow arm pulled, and I wound up uh, wound up hitting the deer in the backhand. Okay. And and he ran off, and we never found him. And I, I wanted to blame that on the, the deer taking a small step, but I believe I jerked. And and I said, you know, and I've been listening to a lot about some releases, and I said, well, I, I think this is worth giving it a shot. And uh, that's when I, I actually purchased uh, one of uh, John Dudley's thumb releases, the little two-finger thumb release. Yeah. Now, making that transition, right? I mean, did you, you know, what was it it like right from the start? I mean, you you picked up that thumb release and you started shooting with it. Did it feel comfortable to you? immediately or was it something that you had to completely retrain yourself to do yeah the latter it was it was totally unnatural i just uh of course he he told uh the best thing to do when you're doing that is uh especially first time users like myself is to just to get a you know blind bail shooting get you uh uh, target out in front of you, four or five yards from you, you know, take the side off your bow and just practice, uh, firing the release into the bag, you know, not even looking, just, just the motion, you know, just, uh, you know, he said, he, he kind of broke it down to where, you know, just almost like starting from square one, you know, if you, when you, when you stand up, you know, get the process, get your feet under your hip, you know, hips under your shoulders, uh, focus on the target out in front of you, not the pin, of course, with, course not with a blind villain but but he said just get it out point your bow arm toward the target draw back and then just slowly put pressure on that thumb release and just pull pull and you pull in that back elbow toward like an invisible wall behind you and you just pull pull till it fires well then first few times i would i would pull pull and you seem like you just you never could make it fire and i struggled with that for a little while to making it fire but I finally discovered that um, the front bow arm has the shoulder on your front bow arm has to be lower, has to sit lower than your back shoulder. And if you get that shoulder down low, it sort of locks bone on bone when you're pulling back. And if you keep that shoulder low and it locks that shoulder in, it allows your back shoulder to expand further. And if you and you keep pulling, pulling, it eventually it will fire and your elbow will come over the back back you know your hand will fly over your shoulder your right shoulder for an unexpected release uh once once you finally it, it took me a while to get the hang of it uh, but once you finally get that feel of that true unanticipated release it's like i mean i still i did the blind belling for probably three and a half weeks maybe four weeks i, I just go out in the garage every night and i would just blind bail for 10 or 15 minutes and it, it takes a it's a learning curve it's, it's, it's a bigger learning curve than i thought but yeah. once you kind of get the basics down uh there's nothing like it gotcha but, so so then how long would you say that that process took um not to not until you were like efficient with the thumb release but you know because you mentioned you you blind bailed for three weeks and then you, mm-hmm. you know, how long after the blind bail was there kind of a, uh, another little time frame in there where you then started 
uh, you know, really starting to sight in your bow, actually, actually using uh, a sight, using like hunting scenarios and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whenever I completed the uh, blind bells, I went out, I finally went out to my target range. I have uh, some bags set up at like from 20 all the way out to 70 yards. And I, so I, I got with I got within about 15 yards, 20 yards, you know, just to practice on the real close ones and, uh, and, you know, and get started sighting, sighting everything in. But it, once it's, it's, it's almost, it's, and this is what helped me out in Kansas. And this is what's really helped me overcome the target panic is concentrating on the process rather than, uh, getting excited over. I mean, I mean, everybody gets excited when they see a good, a good set of horns, but if you concentrate on the same form, same process of shooting your bow every time, you know, you, you line your feet up the same way you get square, you get, like I say, your feet under your hips, hips under your shoulders, point the bow toward the target. You know, you draw the release back, and I would acquire. This is one thing I wasn't doing either. I wasn't, and uh, John kind of pointed this out to me, is you get your anchor first and then acquire the feet. With, you know, you bring your nose down to the, to the line and acquire the feet. But it's like this, this, almost like a checklist. If you do this, do this, do this, and then you're doing the exact same thing every time, it almost becomes almost habit almost routine and by making sure i do the exact same thing every time i draw my accuracy really started incre- in, uh, increasing i started uh grouping them real tight and uh and then i eventually you know started working out a little little further a little further and as long as i you know kept that front both shoulders uh, low you know locked locked it in uh loose uh, real uh loose muscles from uh like from my elbows my fingers keep that tension free and uh just if you just if you just lock them steps in do the same thing over and over i mean it's, it's i would say after another i say another two to three weeks i felt like i had of course i you never say you master anything but i felt like i'd really got a good grasp on it you know gotcha now a lot of times and this is something that's happened to me in the past where um i'll, I'll make a change in my archery equipment Right. I'll, I'll start mm-hmm. shooting really good. And then all of a sudden something happens, whether I like my form goes away or I, you know, I, I'm not following a process, you know, or I, uh, I'm, I start making mental mistakes. Maybe did you ever, uh, did you ever have any backward steps in, in this process, in this transition? Yeah, when uh, when I moved out to the range, like when I finished the blind bill, I moved out, and and I I would almost a couple times I'd get a little almost too relaxed, and you know I'd draw back and and I would relax a little too much, and being being used to uh, being used to shooting the wrist release, and you know having it attached to your arm, you know the big transition going into a, a something you hold in your hand. And and I I think I relaxed a little too much. I only did this once, but I relaxed a little too much on my full draw, and I actually shot the release through my bow. And I've, I've heard a lot of people have done that. I shot it through the bow, and it almost went. I think it didn't go further in the air, but it bounced off the uh, piece of concrete pretty hard. I was scared I'd broke my release, but uh, but you know, other than other than other than that, uh, and I've, I had. I had a couple accidental fires when, you know, if you come to full draw and let back down, 
sometimes I would bump the thumb release. I had that happen a couple times. Yeah. It, was, it was a lot of little learning things, but I know. But once, like I said, once I kind of go ahead. Uh, I I had a uh, I I I tried a thumb release before too, and yeah. I did the <laughs> same exact thing, and I ended up getting stitches in my chin. Oh, yeah, because it bounced off the <laughs> riser was, and bounced back yeah. into my face. I was lucky; it bounced, it hit the riser, but it kept going, and it hit the little piece of concrete out in front of. Me. I mean, I was scared I'd scared I'd broke the release, but it <laughs> but it didn't. Uh, that's the only time I did that. I was, I was, I was holding on a little too loose with my fingers and it shot right through the bow, but luckily it didn't break it. Uh, so, but, so now practicing, right? I mean, you've, you, you've been yeah. practicing and before the season started, did you like the, the archery season, did you yeah. feel confident or were you kind of like, um, you know, I got this, or maybe, uh, maybe I'm going to go back to my wrist release. No, I tell I tell you once, once I finally got my confidence and and knew that I wasn't going to, uh, fire my release through my bow again. Once I got confident, I, you know, I started shooting a good bit every day and it was just, it almost, it became second nature. And I was, it was, it just felt natural. I mean, I, it was, it, Sort of the feeling is like, I wish I had swapped over to this type of release several years ago because my accuracy, my accuracy, you know, instead of like a, a you know a large pie plate where I might scatter them around, it all all my arrows started grouping tight, you know, and um, of course not, I mean maybe not at seventy yards, super tight, but I was I was in the kill zone, you know, if if I did the the process step by step. You know, I was putting them, I put them right in there, uh, right on top of each other, and I, going into the season, I was very confident. Yeah. Now I didn't, I didn't kill a deer with my bow in Alabama this year. I, I didn't get to hunt a whole lot with work, but, but when I went out to Kansas, I was, I was very uh, confident, confident with my release when that, when that buck came in on me gotcha. that morning. So you know, sounds to me like you were able to shoot consistently to where you got to the point where you know that you felt very confident with the equipment that you changed over to and then when the um you you had that encounter you start you know and the the buck came in you went into kind of an uh an autopilot but a good autopilot right that's right yeah the good autopilot yeah not not the other autopilot it was it was it was pretty it was pretty uh it was a it was a real it was kind of a real sudden situation i was sitting there and i had already seen a couple smaller eight points uh probably in the 120 range and and he just i mean i was just sitting there and it's been like 10 minutes of the same thing and he just sort of come out of nowhere and he was on top of me before i know it before i knew it and you know and so automatically your nerves you know when something just pops up and there he is the automatically heart raises your i mean your heart heart rate raises and your adrenaline's pumping and and uh, which is a a great recipe for a target panic, you know, to to, to make a bad shot. Yep. But once I saw him, I just I sort of zoned back in on my process. He he ran out there. I couldn't. I didn't get him to. He actually ran directly up under my tree, but he wouldn't stop. And I finally got him to stop at forty yards. And I was already at full draw. And I just went into my process. I drew back, uh, made my anchor, acquired my peep. And just got him to stop, put it in the put it in the uh, kill zone, slowly pull back to my 
shot fired. You know, all of this was in a matter of just a few seconds. And uh, I made a, I mean, I made the perfect hot heart shot. He ran like forty yards and piled up. I mean, it, it, I couldn't have drew it out any better. I was, I was actually, I was actually, I was uh, pleased and surprised. You know, that I was able to handle it in that in that quick, quick, uh, uh, momentary. You know, sudden. You know, sudden the sudden. Uh, right. Yeah, the my short, short time frame. <laughs> yeah, the short time frame that he gave me, you know, that he just showed up and there he was, and I was able to uh, to complete the shot right. with no right. nerves. So, you know, this this seemed to work for you, right? Uh, is this something that you would yeah. recommend to all all compound archers? I would. I've actually recommended it to a lot of my friends, you know, to give it a try. Of course, you know, so trying something new is always I guess with anything in life, people don't really like to try anything new. They're comfortable with something and and a lot of people don't really think they have a you know, don't really have a target bank problem. But I would I would say I'd say a lot of the people probably have it, don't even realize they have it. Uh some of the some of the some of your misses on your targets or misses on deer, I think it's I think it's all all due to target panic. Uh I I heard someone say I can't recall who it was that said when you can't hold your you can't hold your uh, pen over the uh, center of the target you're not actually uh, you're not actually scared of missing you're actually afraid to hit it's actually a reversal you know, you can't hold it you can't hold your pen directly over the center without yanking it off the center and you know until you can overcome that uh, I know Levi Levi said to to draw your bow back and just hold your pin right in the center of the target for as long as you can until you start to shake, then let back down. You know, that's a little practice that you can do to help you overcome that panic. Yeah. And, uh, there's actually, I, 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 I never did this, but I, I see the, uh, I see the benefit to it is one of these string trainers. Um, you, are you familiar with them? The string trainers, you, you get the, it gets the exact uh, draw length of your bow. It's just a piece of string, and it, you uh, they make adjust. You know they're adjustable, and you make it the exact same draw length as your bow, and you attach your release to it. It's just a piece of string, and you just in your downtime you just draw back, pull your release to the fires, pull your release to the fires. You know over and over and over just to build, yeah, build your uh, confidence with your release. And I think that makes I think it makes all the difference. I, Actually, I would, I would definitely. The thumb release is not a true back tension release, but you can fire it like a back tension release. And I, I really think the majority of the the uh, people out there, if they give it a shot, I think they would really fall in love with it. I, I know I have. I, I know I, I don't plan on ever going back to. It. I actually have a uh, release. I'm on. I was going to hold on to it. I'm probably just going to sell it because I, I like the hand releases that much. So the next the next question I have for you then is okay so you went from a uh, a wrist to a thumb now do you ever see yourself going f- uh, from a thumb release to a true back tension release I don't I don't think so uh, you know at least for, for hunting purposes I think for hunting purposes you still need just a little bit of control I mean I'm not going to I'm not going to punch the trigger. I know now some people they make a release, uh, you know, not the not the hinge release, but they make another release that's sort of a back tension. But if 
I mean, I, like I said, I know I'm still amateur. I'm far from perfect. But if you don't make, with the back tension, if you don't uh, have your shoulder in the correct position and able to expand your shoulder to release fires, it's not going to fire. And uh, that, that's, that's what would scare me if a 170-inch buck comes out there and I, and I freeze up and I can't make my bow fire. Right. Uh, at least with the thumb release, if you keep applying pressure to that thumb release, it's going to eventually fire. And I, I think I've, I have... Uh, defeated the you know the punched in the squeezing with my finger i, I just uh, i actually almost like hyper extend my thumb and just put pressure on it and just pull pull till that till the release fires and and the thumb releases are tension you can adjust the tension to a stronger tension or lighter tension to where it fires at different amounts of pressure you put on it but i i would i don't think i would ever transition over to a true hinge i think thumb release for for hunting purposes in my opinion, that's that's I think that's almost sort of the perfect little setup. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, my friend, that sounds like uh, you have made a a good decision, and it's probably something that I need to do, man. So far, I've been talking a lot about improving my archery skills and it is very important to me but dude i'm i'm and this is a straight up excuse because i'm using time as a you know i i i tell myself dude i don't have enough time but after i get done recording this it's going to be about oh eight o'clock at night and i'm going to go in my backyard i'm going to try to fire a couple arrows uh, and uh yeah uh we'll see we'll see because i have i bought a i bought a um, a back tension release. I have a thumb release okay. and I have a wrist release. Yeah. And, uh, I just, for some reason, I just keep going back to my wrist release, uh, because probably because I don't, I don't put enough time into it as I probably should. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I still love the wrist releases, but, and that's what, like that's what I've done ever since mid nineties. But, and that's what we're all comfortable with. That's what the majority of bow hunters use. But uh, the more time I put in with the thumb release, it's, it's become my go-to. I really, I really fell in love uh, using that. But sounds but, good, uh, man. Well, I tell you what, Chris, I really yep. appreciate you taking time to hop on the podcast and uh, chat about that transition. I think, uh, I think if it doesn't influence someone to go and, and make that change, it's going to get people to, act, you know, at least think about it. Yeah, I, I encourage everybody to at least, at least investigate it, do your research on the internet. And like I said, don't, definitely don't take my word for it, but uh, like I said, I love it. And there you have it, another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Chris for stopping by, chatting with us today. Huge shout out to all of you who even on a holiday had taken the time to listen to this podcast and the best part about this this podcast will be on the internet pretty much for the rest of eternity or as long as i'm alive and you can listen to it now you can listen to it tomorrow or you can listen to it five years from now but just listen to it (laughs) so huge shout out to all the partners of the podcast because if it wasn't for them this would not be possible exodus trail cameras wasp broadheads lone wolf tree stands deer lab Prime Archery, Ripcord Arrowrest, Ozonics, and now Hunter Safety Systems. Please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm going to keep it short. You guys go spend some time with your family. Enjoy this great country. 
and the freedoms that come with it. And I tell you what, man, happy 4th of July, happy Independence Day. And if you're going to be in a tree, Hunter Safety Systems is reminding you to wear your damn safety harness. Have a good 4th.